Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a visit and a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, Be in the Know and Stay Up to Date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including William Yateman will be our guest. He is a senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation, We'll also visit with Dr. Robert Dean. He's an ear, nose, and throat guy, a board-certified, and I can't say the well, ontologist or something to that effect. In any event, he wrote a column for Real Clear, Real, uh, Real Clear Health. This new year, Congress must resolve to deregulate. We'll talk about that. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, and author of many books, his uh, latest, uh, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It is February the 24th, and on this day in 1836 in San Antonio, Texas, Colonel William Travis issued a call for help on behalf of Texas uh, troops defending the Alamo, an old Spanish mission and fortress under siege by the Mexican army. A native of South Carolina, Travis moved to the Mexican state of Texas in 1831. He soon became a leader of the growing movement to overthrow the Mexican government and establish an independent Texas republic. <coughs> Excuse me, please. When the Texas Revolution began in 1835, Travis became a lieutenant colonel in the Revolutionary Army and was given command of troops. Uh, recently captured in San Antonio. <clears throat> on February the 23rd, a large Mexican force commanded by General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana <clears throat> arrived in San Antonio. Travis and his uh, troops took shelter in the Alamo, where they were soon joined by a volunteer force led by Colonel James Bowie. Although Santa Ana's 5,000 troops heavily outnumbered the several hundred Texans, Travis and his men determined not to give up. <clears throat> On February the 24th, they answered San Ana's call for surrender with a bold shot from the Alamos cannon. Furious, the Mexican general ordered his forces to launch a siege. Travis immediately recognized his disadvantage and sent out several messages via couriers asking for reinforcements. Addressing one of the pleas to the people of Texas, all Americans in the world, Travis signed off with the now famous victory or death. Only 32 men from the nearby town of Gonzales responded to Travis' call for help. And beginning at 5.30 a.m. on March the 6th, Mexican forces stormed the Alamo through a gap in the fort's outer wall, killing Travis, Bowie, Davy Crockett, and 190 of their men. Despite the loss of the fort, the Texan troops managed to inflict huge losses on their enemy, killing at least 600 of Santa Ana's men. The defense of the Alamo became a powerful symbol for the Texas Revolution, helping the rebels turn the tide in their favor. At the crucial Battle of San Jacinto on uh, April the 21st, 910 Texan soldiers commanded by Sam Houston defeated Santa Ana's army of 1,250 men, spurred on by cries of, Remember the Alamo. The next day, after Texas Texan forces captured Santa Ana himself, the general issued orders of all Mexican troops to pull back behind the Rio Grande River. On May the 14th, 1836, 
Texas officially became an independent republic and joined the Union in 1845. Remember uh, the Alamo. Well, how's your 401k doing? Well, the average 401k balance lost 23% of its value in 2022, in line with the 20% drop in the S&P 500 benchmark index. Uh, Likewise, the average individual retirement account balance sank by 20% from $135,000 to $104,000 in that time. The data is also in line with a separate report from Vanguard that followed, found that 401k balances it managed fell 20% last year to an average of $112,502. Indeed, Fidelity Investments uh, survey found that globally, 74% of workers to, uh, point to inflation and rising cost of living as the number one cause of stress in their lives. Nevertheless, Americans contribute an average of 13.7% to their 401k plans, nearly as much as the 15% retirement savings rate that Fidelity and other investment firms widely recommend. Baby boomers are saving the most at 16.5% of their salaries for our retirement. Generation Z is saving the least, but still at a healthy 10.2%. Recent, uh, as recently as 10 years ago, American workers typically were saving 5% or less for retirement. Certainly has improved. And by the way, the good news is their dollar cost averaging, if they're buying on a monthly basis, uh, the average uh, cost of the stock is going to be less than the average price uh, if we still can, if we continue this dip in 2023. And I'm talking about the dip in financial markets. <clears throat> well, if your 401k is not doing well or your uh, IRA, how about your home? Homeowners in the United States have lost $2.3 trillion in total value since its peak in June, according to analysis from Redfin. The total value of U.S. homes was $45.3 trillion at the end of 2022, down 4.9% from the record high of $47.7 trillion, or $47.7 trillion in June. That, according to analysis of Redfin Home Value Index, research indicated that the total drop in valuation across the United States is the largest drop in total percentage terms from June to December since 2008. The housing market has been shedding value because home buyer demand has waned, which has also caused home prices to fall from their peak. The median U.S. home sales price was $383,000 in January, down 11.5% from its peak of $433,000 in May. Home buyer demands uh, slowed in large part because rising mortgage rates, a consequence of the Federal Reserve's effort to curb inflation, made purchasing a home much more expensive. The average 30-year mortgage rate was 6.3% in December. While it's down from the 20-year high of 7.08% in November, it's roughly the double uh, from the, uh, the start of 2022. Rates fell at the beginning of February, giving buyers some hope, but they still have since the, but have to... Uh, have not crept back to December levels. <clears throat> so interesting. So we're watching a tremendous burning of wealth here in the United States, and I'm sure it's across the globe as well. And I would attribute that primarily to just stupid policies on the part of this federal government with regard to energy and uh, just a number of things. Congressional investigators have scored a major breakthrough by securing cooperation from Eric Schwerin, 
a close business associate of Hunter Biden, who also uh, had dealings with Joe Biden's business and tax affairs. He's cooperating with us. House Oversight and Account, uh, Accountability Committee Chairman James Comer revealed Thursday his attorneys and my counsel are communicating on a regular basis now. I feel confident that he's going to work with us and provide us with the information that we have requested. Comer added, I think that Schwerin is going to be a very valuable witness for this, for this investigation. The announcement comes as the committee has gotten word that Hunter Biden and his uncle, President, presidential brother James Biden, don't intend to volunteer all the information Comer's committee has been seeking in a wide-ranging probe of the first family's overseas business dealings that collected millions from Ukraine and China. Comer said his committee won't wait any longer and will begin issuing subpoenas immediately. We know individuals, many are cooperating with us now, but others not so much, he said. We're going to start subpoenaing people in the private sector. We're going to start subpoenaing financial institutions to get the information, and then we'll go from there, Comer said, trolled uh, Hunter Biden for refusing to cooperate, saying the lack of cooperation seems to undercut his claims he has nothing to hide. If I were Hunter Biden and I'm innocent as his lawyers and his, uh, the, uh, as he suggests, uh, I'd come on down here and I'd go ahead and clear my name in front of the House Oversight Committee, he said. <coughs> he could come in front of the House Oversight Committee right now and defend his good name, Comer said. He would have 20 Democrats there who would de definitely support him, <coughs> and he could uh, <coughs> make 26 Republicans look bad if all this information we have from his laptop, all the emails that were in his his own words, all the audio, all that in his vo own voice, if for some reason we've misinterpreted what we received. But we all know this family was involved in influence peddling, and the administration is doing everything in its ability to try to block the oversight. Both Joe Biden and Hunter Biden are de have denied family did anything wrong, although the Hunter Biden has acknowledged he is under federal criminal investigation on tax issues. Comer said that the committee uh, battles the White House and the Biden family for information. Schwerin's cooperation was a breakthrough that could spur other key witnesses to cooperate. This is just a very positive development, he said. I, I believe that this is going to lead to a, a few others coming forward, said uh, Comer. Emails on Hunter's laptop that have turned over to the FBI in 2019 show Schwerin, a business executive at Hunter Biden's Rosemont Seneca investment firm, had close proximity to both Hunter and Joe Biden during most of the time the elder Biden was vice president and his son were pursuing uh, international business deals. For instance, Schwerin was involved in vetting and uh, facilitating Hunter Biden's business dealings with the Chinese energy firm CEFC, a relationship that has raised questions about whether communist China has compromised the Biden family by providing it as the emails show an expensive diamond and a multi-million dollar, no interest, forgivable loan. If we can make the connection to CEFC, we can take a percentage of the sale, Schwarz uh, wrote to Hunter Biden on August the 22nd, explaining how they could profit. As early as 2010, Schwerin was also involved in uh, discussing tax and financial matters with the vice president. Yujad just called me about his mortgage and mentioned he'd be out of a, a lot soon and not really back until Labor Day. Schwerin emailed to Hunter Biden on July 6, 2010. So it dawned on us it might be a good time, although he could use some positive news about his future earnings potential. The White House and Hunter Biden's lawyers were unavailable uh, for comment. 
This is a really good news. We have him stepping forward. This will perhaps create some courage for others to step forward as well and testify in the Hunter Biden proceedings. And by the way, a Georgia grand jury forewoman who laughed about bringing down the former president as a wacky uh, pine interest page with collections of pinned elect- magic spells and other things that are kind of witchy. Emily Co- Coors, Coe's, uh, she's 30, has been a, a bizarre mediator that is already causing headaches for prosecutors after she giggled during one of a televised interview with MSNBC when she said she kind of wanted to subpoena Trump just to get him to change, get a chance to swear him in. Many of her uh, social media accounts have been deleted, but her Pine Interest page uh, remains with several collections of pins dedicated to Witcha and witchcraft. She is a bizarre person. I'll tell you, I saw her interviewing on Tucker Carlson. Uh, I guess it was last night. It's really strange. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Come up, uh, William Yateman, a senior legal fellow with Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541.
Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by internationalhealthplans.com. If you're planning on traveling abroad, uh, did you know that your health insurance plan may not cover international travel? You can find out more. Go to internationalhealthplans.com. Check it out, especially if you're traveling anytime in the near future. Uh, internationalhealthplans.com. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure. Uh, tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation. Oh, you bet. We're a legal nonprofit, and we defend Americans from government overreach and abuse. Could not be a more noble calling. <laughs> PacificLegal.org is the website, PacificLegal.org. So it was something very bizarre has happened. This uh, chairwoman, uh, the uh, grand jury uh, in Fulton, Georgia, She's uh, she was on the Tucker Carlson show. She's pretty bizarre. What are your thoughts about what's going on? Well, indeed. So uh, strange news this week. And again, this pertains to the special grand jury, which was impaneled in uh, Fulton County, Georgia, in early 2022. And I'll just note here that a normal grand jury would uh, decide whether or not to issue an indictment that would start a criminal process, a criminal court process against an individual. This special grand jury uh, would only issue recommended charges uh, against uh, uh, against anyone allegedly who committed a crime uh, with respect to the 2020 election. So I guess the big news this week, as you alluded to, was that uh, recently the panel uh, wrapped up its work. Um, it, parts of its final recommendations were released earlier in the week. Uh, they pertain to the witnesses in the grand jury process. Um, evidently, they recommended perjury charges against at least one of the witnesses. Um, but the bigger news, as you alluded to, was the, the media blitz uh, of the jury foreperson, a, a 30-year-old young woman, Emily Coors. And it was startling. I mean, uh, she gave uh, sort of bubbly, awestruck, effusive interviews um, that the CNN, I think, aptly described as a prosecutor's nightmare. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason for that is that these grand jury proceedings, whether or not they're special, are supposed to be secretive. And this is to protect the due process rights of anyone who is ultimately not charged, not indicted. Um, so uh, the, that is to say her absence of discretion uh, was more alarming, perhaps, than her effusive and bubbly tone uh, uh. that perhaps ran counter to the seriousness of the underlying matter. Um, so legally, I, I, it'll certainly lead to uh, motions from the Trump litigation team to dismiss the case. I doubt those would be successful. I mean, I don't think they would stop uh, the Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis from proceeding. Um, but politically, it, it is a nightmare. Um, it, it does, uh, you know, there's a reason that CNN said it was a prosecutor's nightmare. There's a reason that ABC News, uh, Dan Abrams, um, you know, basically echoed that sentiment. Um, and that's because it, it, again, runs counter to how these things are supposed to be secretive. And it, it was it was indeed bizarre. I mean, it was a, sort of, a, a, we're supposed, in this country, it's a great part of our system that, we get uh, juries of our peers, um, but you know this was a. 
it, it just came across uh, uh, perhaps even undermined faith in the Georgia justice system. It was just uh, alarming the extent to which she seemed so bubbly about it all. Oh, well, in fact, uh, she's a self-proclaimed witch. <laughs> oh, well, there you have it. Hey. <laughs> she's pretty pretty weird. I mean, uh, the, the whole interview with Tucker Carlson was just uh, pretty unbelievable. Now, uh, this uh, special grand jury, well, how is this different from a... Re- why, why do we have two types of grand juries? So alluded to that at the outset. So, yeah, the normal grand jury is going to be part and parcel of the criminal process. It, it's supposed to be a small check on overzealous prosecution. And the idea is basically that you've got to convince at least a majority in a room full of average Americans ah. that your case has merit. Um, these special grand juries, they're a creature of Georgia law, state law. Oh. And uh, the, the idea here is to assist the district attorney and, again, to ultimately recommend whether or not uh, uh, the DA, the district attorney, should file charges, which would lead to another grand jury, a, a normal traditional grand jury that... Um, to decide whether or not to indict the the uh, the uh, alleged um, violators of the law, so that would be the difference between the two. I'll note this: uh, in practice, this one, and I'm not uh, by no means am I condoning uh, any of, of Trump's positions in the 2020 elections with respect to uh, the steal. I mean, or allegations and such. But this special investigation. Um, is being conducted by a, a political, uh, uh, an elected official, this Fannie Willis, who is very much engaged in Georgia politics. And indeed, a judge uh, earlier, uh, the, the judge, uh, what is his name, Robert McBurney, um, uh, uh, earlier had to curtail the scope of uh, D.A. Willis's investigation. The long and short of it is she was trying to rope in to the investigation her political opponents, who really had nothing to do with the 2020 election. Um, so it's sort of, uh, that gets to how there's a political vibe oh, to this. Yeah. I mean, needless to say, it's not just a, a, um, that it pertains to this highly politicized issue of the 2020 election. Um, it's even broader than that. So right. it's, uh, that was a long-winded way of saying, I think Trump's lawyers have a point when, in the wake of this interview, from the four-person, the jury four-person, and, and all these things that I've otherwise said, um, th- this thing has the feel of a circus. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't feel very serious. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, uh, William. But now, the, the Supreme Court is taking on uh, Biden's unilateral $500 billion student, student debt cancellation policy. What are your thoughts on this? Well, indeed. So that's uh, on the 28th next week. I think that's Tuesday. The Supreme Court's going to hear uh, arguments in Secretary or uh, Education Department versus Brown and Biden v. Nebraska, and these are two existential challenges to Biden's five hundred billion dollar—I mean, half a trillion dollar—unilateral student debt cancellation policy that we talked about a number of times before. Uh, I'll say this: it's a fool's errand to prognosticate the Supreme Court. Um, there's two ways it can go. So it is uh, either the court can rule on what's known as justiciability, and basically that's legalese for whether or not the, the, the challengers have the right to be in court. Mm-hmm. If the court overcomes this justiciability issue, if it gets to, to the merits, I mean, the underlying claims, 
um, um, then I think the Biden administration faces an uphill climb. I mean, again, it seems patently ludicrous that the president can unilaterally engender a policy um, without any, uh, you know, direct authorization from Congress, sort of a reinterpretation or reimagining of a 2003 law um, to effectuate a $500 billion policy. I'd be remiss if I didn't note this very briefly. PLF, uh, where we work, we filed an amicus brief to the Supreme Court in this case on behalf of the three lawmakers, including Representative John Boehner, who were responsible for the 2003 HEROES Act, which is uh, the hat upon which uh, the, the, the basis for the Biden administration's unilateral policy. Um, but in short, uh, they affirm what everyone knows, which is in no way whatsoever did Congress in 2003 authorize the president to, uh, uh, in essence, transform uh, national student debt policy to the tune of half, trillion, half a trillion dollars. Yeah. Uh, I think you alluded to standing. The uh, people that are suing the government about this, how do they, how do they stand with regard to standing? Well, so the, the best, uh, I'll say this, the, the case for standing is, uh, is going to boil down to whether or not Missouri um, in particular has standing. That's one of the states that brought the challenge in uh, Biden v. Nebraska. Um, and basically there's uh, an entity called Mohella, which is a nationwide student loan servicing center, um, which basically processes uh, uh, student debt uh, for borrowers across mm -hmm. the nation. Long and short of it is, they are closely connected to the Missouri government. They were chartered by the Missouri government. There's all sorts of financial connections. And Missouri's claim for standing is basically your policy by canceling all this debt is going to decrease the workload for this entity called Mohella, which is going to, un you know, uh, thereby affect uh, Mohella is basically an extension of the, of the state of Missouri and thereby harm um, the state of Missouri. I mean, it's going to decrease the business of this entity and thereby uh, uh, decrease their wealth creation, decrease their value, and thereby harm uh, Missouri's tax revenues. Well, I, certainly, so, I ho certainly hope it stands up in front of the Supreme Court. Again, uh, William Aitman, he is a uh, senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. PacificLegal.org is the website, PacificLegal.org. William, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. All right, coming up, we've got a visit with Dr. Robert Dean. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, a Dowd professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now, we have with us Dr. Robert Dean. He is a board-certified otorologist. How did I do, Doc? <laughs> Well, not too bad. ENT also works. Ear, nose, and throat. So. Okay. Thank you, Doctor. In any event, you wrote a really interesting column in uh, Real, Real Clear Health. Uh, this year, this new year, Congress must resolve to deregulate. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, well, healthcare, unfortunately, is going through some significant transformations. We had been for very many years, but certainly the pandemic I think exposed many of the weaknesses in the healthcare system. And, you know, if we want to save the healthcare system and prevent it from going to a single payer, a socialized system, then we have to change what we're doing. We obviously have been um, running pretty much the same experiment over and over again, expecting a different outcome for the past, you know, 30, 40 years. And that's led us down this path to uh, massive consolidation and subsequently the opposite of what everybody in healthcare says that they're striving for, which is to decrease cost and improve outcomes. And really the question becomes, how do you do those two things, which are a paradox? How do you pay less and get better outcomes unless you completely retransform the way the system actually runs? And that's not what's currently happening. And the only way that we're going to get there is through deregulation. Well, I'd like you to say more about that. It's it's an interesting uh, situation right now because uh, now uh, the uh, president and uh, Kevin McCarthy said, well, the, uh, for example, Medicare is off the table for discussion with regard to the uh, debt limit. But it sounds to me like you're recommending we do need to make some changes in, in these programs in order to, uh, to uh, get the health care pro- program we need. What would be, in a perfect world, what would be the changes that you'd, you'd like to make? Well, um, you know, again, it's, it's decentralization. So why, why do politicians say Medicare is, is off the table? <clears throat> that's a significant voting block. And, you know, people pay into that system for very many years, and they expect to have their Medicare uh, when they're 65. And a system that withholds care um, to people is not going to be accepted very well because most people go through most of their life without really needing a ton of health care. Yeah. But by the time they get to retirement age, certainly things start to pop up, and, and, and uh, those resources can dry up very quickly, you know, that they may have saved for. So... <clears throat> Um, if we want to save Medicare, what we, what we need is a more cost-effective and efficient system. 
Uh, we can't leave the current bloated system that's in, in, that's in place that's $4.2 trillion a year, roughly, that we spend right now um, in, this, in, you know, in, in this part of our economy. So through deregulation, what you really want to do, I think, with the bigger overarching picture is to try to preserve private practices uh-huh. and use more ambulatory models. And let me try to explain why those two things are very important. By preserving private practice, that in itself decreases healthcare costs. If physicians become employed, costs go up significantly. And the reason why is because large systems, whether they're hospital systems, venture capital, private equity, they're able to negotiate contracts through commercial plans that cost, you know, that, 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 that you know, improves their reimbursement. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if I were to take a job and leave private practice and immediately go to one of the hospitals in our community, the cost to come see me would go up from, say, 105% uh, for somebody to 250%. Huh. Now, that's not necessarily true for Medicare because Medicare is a fixed rate, but right. still um, hospital systems will get a higher reimbursement. So um, preserving private practice is incredibly important, but that's the opposite of what's happening. Before the pandemic, the estimates were closer to around 50% of physicians um, were still in private practice. So you had half that were employed, half that were um, um, you know, in private practice. Now, the, the, the data that's out there shows that about 70% of physicians are employed. So there's two studies that were done um, back in, I think, about 2016, one from UC Berkeley Public School of Health and the other from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And both demonstrated those two things. When doctors become employed, costs go up and outcomes go down. Mm. And so those aren't my words. Those are the words of the study. And so if anybody has a problem with that statement, they have to go look at the study and read that and say, well, I, I disagree with those findings, but clearly that's that's been the case for many years. So, you know, number one, we need to keep um, physicians in private practice. Number two, um, <clears throat> we need to use a more ambulatory marketplace, and it'll lead to what we talked about in the paper. But ambulatory surgery centers are a perfect example of how costs can be precipitously dropped without affecting the, the quality of healthcare people have access to <clears throat> and saving the system a ton of money. So if someone has a surgery that's done in an ambulatory surgery center versus the same identical surgery that's done in a hospital, the costs are about one-fifth of what they would be in the hospital to do it in the surgery center. And you're using the same surgeon. You're using the same anesthesiologist. You're using um, the same circulators that are in the room. But because the facility is much more efficient in its ability to deliver you know, that care, Costs can be brought down precipitously. And, you know, I'm not an anti-hospital individual. We will need hospitals as long as there's humanity, right? As right. long as there's humans on Earth. But hospitals are not the place to deliver, you know, I would say upwards of 80% of your care. Wow. 20%, yeah, for people that are critically ill, trauma patients, transplant patients. I mean, you can go down the laundry list of individuals that you need a more complex structure to manage those patient lives. But you don't need that to manage a large portion of what we currently manage in those systems. And so in the article, we talked about certificate of need laws. And there are some states, and fortunately in my state, we don't have a, a CON, a certificate of need. But in other states, they do. And that, that inhibits physicians from coming into that private practice marketplace and uh-huh. you know, opening up an ambulatory surgery center without going before um, you know, a committee that decides whether or not you get that certificate. But, of course, it's a public hearing. And guess who shows up to that public hearing? Yeah. The, people, the people that have OR beds that are not full, and they want to make sure that you're driving case volume into their, into their facility, effectively creating that, um, 
that subsidy that, that is a cost to society, whether it's to Medicare and Medicaid or to commercial payers. So in other words, the certificate of deed really serves as a, as a form of interference for f- the free market for people that may want to open a new hospital someplace. Uh, they're going to have to uh, demonstrate that they're not going to be inhibiting or uh, cutting off any of the market of the, uh, of the current hospital, something to that effect? Right. No, that's exactly right. And and when these when these surgery centers do pop up, you know, costs will drop precipitously. It was interesting in the state that I'm in. Um, initially, when surgery centers came in, you know, there were scattered few surgeons that were using them. Um, and then eventually, even Medicaid, run by the state, came to uh, physicians uh, in our practice and said, hey, we noticed you're still taking cases to the hospital. Would you mind taking those to the surgery center? So, you know, it was one of the first times that I had seen government recognition that utilizing services like in a surgery center, they recognize on their bottom line that that drops costs. And those are the types of things that we need to go after if we want to really reform healthcare. But we're, I mean, I think as your listeners can appreciate, I think we're witnessing consolidation in all parts of the marketplace across the country, not just healthcare, but in other areas. Right. And consolidation creates monopolies. Monopolies create, you know, high prices. Absolutely. Competition in the marketplace is what you need. As, as it turns out, I just had my hip replaced uh, in uh, June of this year, and uh, I had it done at a surgery center, not in a hospital. I was there at 6.15 in the morning. I ended up leaving in the, our car <laughs> at 11.30 yep. in the morning. I mean, it was just an amazing experience yep. and uh, so much more efficient than I would imagine going into a hospital where, where you have a lot of sick people. In a surgery center, you don't have a lot of sick people. So uh, I, That's I, a very I, excellent point. I, I just really appreciated the, the opportunity there. So uh, how do we get legs on this? Uh, I think your ideas are terrific. What can we do to support your efforts? Well, I, that's you know, one of the things that uh, I think will be the, the trying times. Um, we, need, we need people to, to reach out to their legislators, both in the House and the Senate, and say, you know, look, we need real reform in health care, something that's meaningful, something that's lasting, something that will truly change and reform the system. You know, again, mentioned in this, and, and this is just kind of a tangential, um, you know, thought process, but uh, in the article we talked about telehealth. You know, telehealth is it's a tool. It's not a solution. It's a tool in healthcare. Right. It's people that are going to try to use it as a, as a solution, again, are, you know, I hate to say it, but more or less trying to sell snake oil, and that drives me a little bit nuts because yeah. um, we're looking for real solutions in healthcare. You can use that as a tool. And it's beneficial. But prior to the onset of the pandemic, telehealth had very limited value. People had to pay cash out of pocket. Commercial plans weren't you know, paying for it. Medicare and Medicaid wasn't paying for it. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, and so after the pandemic, you saw that that turned on and hasn't turned off, and that's been beneficial for access for patients that are in rural communities, maybe even in urban communities, but can't make it in to see the physician and need a follow-up that doesn't require a physical exam, et cetera, et cetera. And a legislative change like that had a huge impact on society. And it's just these small things that we need to do, getting rid of certificate of need laws, removing the moratorium on physician-owned hospitals, et cetera. So we need people to get out there and, and, and lobby their leaders, their congressional leaders, both in the House and the Senate, to to say, why is this a bipartisan effort? Like, why, why isn't this, I should say, a bipartisan effort? You know, this should be something that all of us want to try to solve in a, in a meaningful way. Yeah. And so, um, and so, yeah, going to the Real Clear Health, you know, uh, um, website and reading that article, 
think it gives people a way to start to more logically make an explanation to their legislators why we, why we need change. Very well said. Again, Dr. Robert Dean. And again, the name of the column in Real Clear Health is uh, this new year, Congress must resolve to deregulate. I guess the key word here is deregulate. Right. Uh, Dr. Dean, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, indeed. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with the Hodges University Wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the Wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. times they're changing and trends in funeral services are no exception. The traditional, somber, formal affair marking one's passing is transitioning into a celebratory event where family and friends can gather more casually in a relaxed setting that incorporates the comforts of home. Each of issues unique. We're all made up of little details that makes us different and irreplaceable. At Hodges Funeral Home at Naples Memorial Gardens, there are many details that set them apart, differences you'll find nowhere else. Hodges Funeral Home at Memorial Gardens offers flexible chapel and event space, a modern funeral home, a celebration of life center, cremation options, and a 100% service guarantee. Call Hodges Funeral Home at Naples Memorial Gardens at 239-597-3101. That's 239-597-3101. Or visit the website dignitymemorial.com. That's www.dignitymemorial.com. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and they know the policy. They prepare elected officials to win in the legislature. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now, uh, billionaire investor Thomas H. Lee, 78 years of age, was found dead of a self-inflicted gunshot wound in his swanky New York City office on Thursday morning, according to the New York Post. Now, the family is extremely saddened by Tom's death. Uh, while the world knew him as one of the pioneers of private equity business and a successful businessman, we knew him as a devoted husband, father, grandfather, sibling, friend, and philanthropist who always put others' needs before his own. Our hearts are broken. We uh, ask that our privacy be respected and that we be allowed to grieve. 
He was a good friend of Bill and Hillary Clinton. Now, this is one of the reasons I wanted to cover this story. Do you ever notice that uh, friends of Bill and Hillary Clinton end up dying a lot early in life, in many cases because of self-inflicted wounds like suicide? In June uh, 2008, following Hillary's unsuccessful presidential run, the couple reportedly stayed at the East Hampton home, according to the Daily Mail. So, again... uh, uh, Thomas Lee so sorry for his death and uh, our condolences to his family. But the point being is it just raises the question about whether Bill and Hillary Clinton had anything to do with this death. And then in addition to that, <clears throat> Arkansas cops rule suicide in death of Clinton aide uh, linked to Jeffrey Epstein, who was found shot and tied to a tree with electrical cord around his neck despite no sign of a weapon. Well, this story's been updated. Apparently, they did find a weapon. How they didn't find it in the first place, I have no idea. But nevertheless, uh, Bill Clinton's special advisor, Mark Middleton, who signed Jeffrey Epstein into the White House several times, killed himself in May of 2022. Now, this is just being released because... Uh, According to the police report, Middleton was found with a gunshot wound to the chest and extension cord tied around his neck and and attached to a tree. Uh, His body and car were found at the Haifa Ranch in Perryville, Arkansas. The grisly scene where a top Bill Clinton advisor was found hanged from a tree with a gunshot wound to his chest had finally been revealed nine months after he died. But the sheriff reported into Mark Middleton's mysterious death raised more questions than answers as it rules he died by suicide. Uh, and they f- apparently came up with a gun that killed him. So, uh, again, this is uh, uh, he was 59 years of age, was found dead last May at the Heifer Ranch in Perryville, Arkansas, an hour west of Little Rock. Release of the report was held up after members of the family petitioned a judge that they were worried the pictures from the gory scene would be made public. The judge eventually ruled that the details could be released, but photographs could not. The report, written by Perry County Sheriff Deputy Jeremy Lawson, says he was called to the ranch by worker Samantha L. McElroy, but found, uh, had found uh, Middleton's abandoned black BMW SUV, uh, McElroy, uh, then walked around the cottage and the ranch, and almost immediately after stepping around the corner of the cottage, she started yelling, wrote Lawson. Upon reaching the back of the cottage, she pointed towards the rear of the property and asked if that was a person. I could see what uh, first appeared to be a man sitting in a tree, uh, near a tree, but as her, my eyes focused better, I could see a rope of something type going from the tree limb to the male. Lawson said it was clear that Middleton was dead at the time. <laughs> So another, it's a, isn't it kind of strange that we would have another death? Remember Seth Rich? You may recall that he was part of the campaign, the Clinton campaign. He apparently was a victim of a robbery, although everything in his possession, he had every, nothing apparently was stolen, but he ended up dead. So why did that happen? Why do these people end up dying that were associated with Bill and Hillary Clinton? It's a really interesting question. And, and now here are two more, just raises... That very uh, interesting question. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston at Space Architecture. He's also the author, I think, of about a dozen books. His latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. I've read the book. It's so interesting. Again, Professor Larry Bell, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. And Bob, thanks so much for having me on again. Always a pleasure, Professor. And uh, your latest column in uh, Newsmax, and by the way, his his column is on point. He writes it several times a week uh, for Newsmax.com. Is Biden's flaws invite dangerous foreign exploitation of U.S.? I think you covered the territory pretty well in this column. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, Bob, I, I've been, of course, thinking about a lot of the same things I think that a lot of other people are thinking about, which is, you know, it's, these are really worrisome times, you know, and, you know, we, we, we see Ukraine and Russia, and we see uh, Russia being really uh, driven closer and closer to China, and China suggesting that they're going to offer, you know, tactical support to to uh, Russia and so on, and 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 I just read this morning that we're talking about putting more troops in Taiwan and so on. So I think there's a, a sense of many of us are worried worry that you know where's that, you know is our leadership really on top of this? And, and I, I hate to say it, but sort of what would Trump do and so on, or would we even be in this? situation that Trump were in, that's kind of water over the dam, but yeah. but the sense of of leadership, and you want to 
you know, and I feel in these in these turbulent times that we have someone we can count on, and and one is just the ability to make good decisions and and strong decisions, and 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 the other is is whether whether the president is both cognitively and and coercively compromised, and and we see this with regard to you know more and more exposures of you know the Biden family foreign deal uh, doing and and you think of the potential for for you know China to through through extortion through all kinds of leverage yeah influence policy and if, as we look at the policies and both particularly with respect to China uh, you know we wonder well why would he cancel why would uh, the Biden administration cancel the the China initiative, which was had to do with really addressing some of the university spying that's going on and scientific spying and and uh, and, and a lot of the other decisions that seem to be uh, why did we sell oil from the strategic petroleum reserve to China in the middle of uh, you know coming up to the election and when to reduce oil prices and. And it's just a lot of lot of really troubling optics yeah. that uh, you, you wonder really who's in charge. So true, Professor. And one of the things I worry about, too, is that uh, I, I think there's new relationships being formed and, and primarily, well, at least I think influenced by the fact that many world leaders just don't respect Joe Biden. I worry about the Saudis and uh, uh, in Iran and uh, China and <clears throat> Uh, Russia forming kind of an alliance together, uh, kind of leaving the United States out in the cold. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I think I think you know. One hand, we say you know, do they really res- respect them? But I think perhaps the larger question is, are they exploiting him and yeah. and uh, good point, basically exploiting American weakness and 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 you know, Taiwan is a Particularly troublesome you know, matter right now, and and the fact that we we see the emergence, you know, the, the acceleration of this 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 uh, Soviet this Russian Chinese bloc, which of course China has a huge population, and and they they of course depend a lot on uh, Russian oil and coal, and uh, and and. You wonder to what extent they may uh, fan the flames there, and, and and you know we hear stories that Putin is in bad health. Would he do something radical? And and G, you know, there's gonna be another major election coming up, and after after those are over, will there be more of a tendency to uh, have exploits in Taiwan and so on? So as we we live in we live in, in troubling times, and I think you know the 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 concern about leadership, the American leadership, both home and abroad. You know, I don't recall a time in my lifetime, and I've had a long lifetime that there's been this uh, uncertainty about uh, who's uh, who's in charge and that their judgment and their and where their priorities lie. It's so true. And, uh, you know, we had under President Trump, 
there was he he had uh, he had uh, I think I think I'll call it a, a respectful fear from the rest of the world about what he might do in the event of a. Uh, events and for example uh, Afghanistan there's not one murder not one bird life taken uh, during the end of that war under President Trump and it's just things have unraveled under this uh, president right now uh, to, to the point of a what I'm gonna just call chaos it's just unbelievable what's going on and to your point uh, he, you know he's so compromised by the business deals that, he, that have been made in China as well as in uh, Ukraine well Trump seemed to have good instincts and good judgment, and which which kind of leads you to, leads you to wonder about all the advice that, that that Biden is getting. And oh, you can look at things like, you know, Anthony Blink, Anthony Blinken, you know, vice, the uh, Secretary of State. His his primary his previous job was to uh, was the chief officer of the Biden uh, Pennsylvania Center, and and. And you know, and, and you look at all the money they've taken in yeah. from China, so on. And you look at you look at his appointments, you know. And of course, you got Susan Rice, who's an Obama holdover, and now they're more concerned about bringing an equity committee, or to, you know, it's all the different agencies and under under Susan Rice. And it seems like this this crazy, crazy, crazy climate nonsense. Uh, it seems to be driving our policies, and this naive notion that uh, that China is going to, you know, really cooperate because they want to save the planet. At the time, they have a stranglehold on all the rare earth materials coming needed for these batteries for the electric vehicles they're trying to push down our throat. So it's it's really, uh, you know, it's just a morass of idiocy. It is indeed. I'm going to encourage our listeners to go to Newsmax. Newsmax.com. Check out uh, Larry Bell's columns on point. His latest, Biden's Flaws Invite Dangerous Foreign Exploitation of the United States. Also, uh, take a look at Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design by Professor Larry Bell. Professor, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, I always enjoy it. Thank you so much. My pleasure, indeed. <coughs> Excuse me, please. <coughs> <coughs> Uh, that's a wrap on here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We've got great guests for Monday, including Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Larry Reed is the uh, president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington bureau chief, will be with us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an e email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>